My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. 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 Get it out of your head and onto the page. Get it out of your head and onto the page. Get it out of your head and onto the page. Get it out of your head and onto the page. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer, producing his butt off, is <laughs> Ryan Buds. Hello, Ryan. How's it going, Pilar? It's, I love the new space. This is my first episode in the new room. Thank you. It's amazing. It's clean. It's very... Uh, it's like if there was one store above Ikea, I feel like, you know, like it's like, it's got that Ikea look to it, but it's a little bit nicer. Ikea, they should put a new wing on the place with my name on it because I bought all their crap. It's right here, right here. There's uh, a skylight. I've never, a skylight. I've never had a, gotten to work in a room with a skylight. This I is great. know. This was me going, it's a little dark. Could I have a, and they gave one to me. Oh, fantastic. How about that? That's great. Yeah. And I see you're rocking your new iPod. Uh, iPhone. Your new iPhone. It's and the, uh, the blue one. I had to go with blue. Clearly comfortable with your masculinity. That's right. That well, they're all pretty, they're all pretty effeminate mm. colors. They're all pastel <laughs> Easter morning colors. Uh, it was either that or pink or yellow. And I went with the baby blue <laughs> to match my eyes. Yes. That's, that's a good answer. <laughs> that's right. I make sure all of my phones throughout the years have matched my eyes. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> he, he turns. He turns the color around. Still gets the ladies whoop, to match my eyes. That's right. Very they nice. put their number in the phone. I don't even have to do it. That's sweet. Don't tell sweet. my wife. No, I won't. All right. She's not listening anyway. <laughs> um, we've got Paul Guio with us, returning as podcast guest. Hello, Paul Guio. Hello. I'm nice glad to, to see be back. You. I'm glad you are too. And I you love the new space too. It's it's very. Sans Russian Mafia. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye, Russian Mafia. That's right. Hello, Ikea. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Goodbye, drug dealer on the corner. <laughs> Goodbye, homeless dudes who were very, very nice, but still. Goodbye, 7-Eleven. Sure. And the scary bathroom. Goodbye, Goodbye scary, scary bathroom. bathroom. The bathroom's right there. I can see it in front of me now. Yes, a real bathroom. I don't have to go down a Ninja Turtle alley to no. go <laughs> figure out where to pee. <laughs> and uh, and let's not forget that Paul also has an iPhone. It's really cracked, and we yeah. decided it looks really punk rock as a result. Yeah, I have I have the 4S and dropped it on the day the 5 came out. There you um, go. I, I think it was on accident, but, but maybe not. <laughs> they design cool them that are. way. They but really but I, I haven't gotten it repaired. I, I do. And now yeah, I just, that looks like the angry pitch it across the room. I <laughs> it's me. It's my phone. Scott Rudin. I Is it really? The, I think the, you got too angry at Angry Birds, Rudin. <laughs> I think that's what happened. Did you ever get to pitch in front of Scott Rudin? No. No, I don't own a helmet, so. <laughs> no, I hear, no. That's not, I hear he's a fabulous man. <laughs> let's, re let's remind Paul, everybody about who Paul Gio is. He, you were only on in July. Wildly popular podcast, and I or don't. Or I was so horrible, I had to come back and try again. <laughs> no, no, you were really good. I got letters. You got letters. I got letters. You were terrific. And um, Paul is uh, a co-producer of Leverage, uh, Judging Amy, many other TV shows and sold a feature with D Dean Devlin Dean. for 
Seven figures, right? Seven figures. I didn't get all seven though, but yeah, we sold it for seven. <laughs> to even get a couple I got of three those and a half figures. Of those figures. Three and a half. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. I just there see you like that was good. Yeah. rolling a barrel of money across the desert. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right, exactly. That was me. <laughs> there you go. I thought that was gonna be me. <laughs> I had to roll it over to somebody else's bank. <laughs> yeah, did you? As we, we all learned. That at dinner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um now uh the last time you were here, we talked for over an hour and then you went, wait, but I haven't even talked about pitching at the very, very end of it. That's right. And so it just made sense to me that the next time that you were in town to take meetings, which you're doing, um, to talk about pitching a little bit and some of the meetings that you've taken in the past, the people you've pitched to, tips on pitching, stories about pitching. I want to hear it all. I know nothing. Ah, oh thanks. Well. Thanks End for podcast. having me. Oh. Um, no, it was uh, the last time I was here. I had I was doing my uh, I call it the bottled water tour. You know where you go around to all the different producers and studios and and pitch your little ideas for little TV shows. And um, it was interesting because I had a what I thought at the time was a really successful tour. I um, I had several producers that I pitched uh, my original ideas to and that they loved and got very excited about and got me very excited about them. And so there were, I think there were four, there were four distinct meetings that I left and called my agent and said, it was great. And my agent called the producers and the producer said, it was great. And I thought, wow, I got four shots here. I'm going to have, I'm going to be writing a pilot this year. And then, uh, people started watching Under the Dome. <laughs> and suddenly my, my little character-driven, you know, cable dramas um, about, you know, subtext and people talking to each other and, and doing things with and to each other suddenly was not enough. And these producers, um, they all contact me and go, you know, we really loved your idea, but this year... Everybody, all the networks are chasing under the dome because they spent a lot of money on that. Nobody thought it was going to be a hit, and people watched it. And so, like all the stuff that came after Lost, when Lost became a hit, or Heroes, and and they just they chased that lightning in a bottle, that high concept. And and they they told me they all 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 of them said, you know, we love your idea, but we can't sell it this year. It's not the year to sell a small character idea. And we were talking over dinner about the fact that Breaking Bad, the finale was last night, yeah. right? And if this was the weekend to right. pitch a character driven... Yeah, because that's yeah. that's the thing. I mean, as smart as most of the executives that I've ever dealt with are, and generally I'd say 90% of them are very smart people, they all, they, they're, you know, they their job security makes them very nervous. And, and it, I, I unless you're Howard Gordon or now Vince Gilligan or somebody at that level, Shonda Rhimes, you're not pitching to the head of the networks or the head of studios. You're pitching to these development executives and these mid-level executives. And the turnover in that job position is constant. And the only way you can get fired is by saying yes to the wrong thing. And so, you know, they're predisposed to say no to as much stuff as they can because they're putting their job on the line when they say yes to something. Don't you think, though, sometimes people get fired for saying no to the right thing? Well, I don't know. I mean, you hear those stories about, you know, being Sopranos being passed on and man and all this stuff, but I, I don't know if that happens as frequently just because people say no so often. And, you know, like this year, their mandate that they got from above was 
we're chasing high concept. We need uh, a poster idea. You know, you can see the poster for Under the Dome. You know, my idea about, you know, two guys, uh, I mean, I won't get into what the idea was, but it was, you know, uh, like even Breaking Bad is somewhat of a high concept, although the show wasn't at all. Um, and if, if I had pitched my same ideas that I pitched in July and failed, if I had been pitching those same ideas probably this week after all the Emmy hype with Breaking Bad and the finale being so successful and so popular, I probably would have sold my ideas. It, it's all, they all have ADD, as smart as they are. And so <laughs> in July, Under the Dome had done huge numbers, more than anyone had expected the first few weeks it was on the air. So everybody was chasing that. Now this week, the next couple of weeks, whatever writers are going into pitch, they better be pitching character, cable-y, Breaking Bad type stuff, and they'll probably sell it. If you go in this week now and pitch some giant high concept thing, you're probably not going to do as well. But, but, you know, trying to chase after this stuff... No, you can't. Right. And that's why... And I, I learned the hard way. I mean, I, I made that mistake years ago before that I tried to... Um, you know, oh, I got to come up with what the market wants. And you, you can't ever do that. It's just like when you try to write something you think will sell, it's a disaster. You're just, it's suicide for a writer. You just have to write what you love and you've got to, you know, the ideas that I pitched were TV shows that I would want to watch. And I don't watch, all due respect to the writers and everybody with Under the Dome, I don't watch that show. It's not a show that doesn't interest me, so I could never pitch that show. What would you say your percentage of, it sounds like you're a pretty successful pitcher and you've had a lot of, if people have said yes to you a number of times, what would you say if you had a guess of percentages, how many, you know, how many yeses, how many no's? Um, you know, I, when I first started pitching, I got, I worked on a few shows and I did three years on judging Amy and, and got up to co-producer status then. And that was when I very got my first gig to write a pilot. And so I started pitching, after that, and I had a, I was really pretty successful. I mean, I, I had, I was probably in the high 90 percentiles of what I would pitch to sell. I, I wrote oh, a wow. pilot every year, or had a blind script deal every year from 2004 to 2010. Wow. And what's funny is, if anyone asks me, I, I say I freely admit that I suck at pitching. <laughs> really. And that first time you went in for that very first pitch, how did you prepare? Um, well, the very first one, again, I was lucky enough that I, I was called in by um, a person representing the head of the studio, which I won't mention, and the head of the studio had an idea for a television show, and I think they had gone through all the writers they had deals with there, and all those writers had turned it down, so they got down to my level, and it was like, hey, how would you like to write this idea for her? And, and it was my first gig, and I said, yeah, that sounds yeah. like a great idea for a TV show. <laughs> it was a horrible idea for a TV show. It was, uh, it was about college campus cops. But the thing was, you could you could see a version of that show. There's like a CW version, and maybe even a you know, she wanted it like NYPD Blue, but oh, college uh, campus cops, and yeah. those trains just don't meet. Um, but I was very enthusiastic, and you know, wrote the best uh, the best pilot script I could write. Um, but then after that, I, you know, you hear a lot. I'm 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 somebody I think we talked about on the last podcast. I don't. My theories and philosophies don't necessarily run with the majority. Um, I know there are people that, that swear by 
this whole process of pitching where you, you know, you write it out, you memorize it, you practice it in front of the mirror, you get, you know, you get it honed and honed and honed over in your head and you go in and you hit all your marks and you might even bring an iPad. And I, I don't do that because I can't. There, pitching, being a good pitcher has nothing to do with writing, with being a good writer. It's, it's like car salesmen would probably be, make, you know, great pitchers out here in Hollywood because you're selling, you're trying to sell them on an idea or a concept and it has nothing to do, you could be the worst writer in the world or the greatest writer, has nothing to do with it. And since I, I don't have that in my DNA of, of writing something out and memorizing it and basically going in and performing this pitch, what I've always done is I just go in and have a conversation with people. I just like sit down and say, here's this really cool idea. It's like talking to friends at a restaurant or something about if you had to tell somebody about a television show that you love that they'd never seen. You know, like mm -hmm. I, you know, my, The Wire may be my favorite television show of all time. And the way I pitch is kind of like if I had to sit down, if you'd never seen The Wire, Pilar, and so I sat down here and said, oh my God, you've never seen The Wire? This is what The Wire is and tell you about the show. That's, that's mm -hmm. kind of how I pitch. Um, now that said, I, I was lucky enough several years back to do a pilot with uh, the, the late, great Stephen J. Cannell, um, who actually is in the Guinness Book of World Records for selling the most television pitches in history. There's a guy from Guinness that are at, is at all these meetings, just sitting there, <laughs> like, telling I, it I, up? I think, I think Cannell was so far ahead. I, I think the final number was something like 82 shows wow. he'd sold. Wow. Um, no one's even come close to that. And, uh, and he and I did a pilot together once, and he gave me his sort of secrets to pitching, which were really interesting, which to this day I've used, and it had nothing to do with actually how you pitch. It was like, like his biggest thing was when you walk into the room where you're going to talk to these people and pitch, he said, if there is a window in that room, make sure you sit across from it. Make sure that their backs are to the window. So they could be more focused on you instead you, of yeah, looking outside. You don't ever want to try and pitch hmm. with a window behind you it's because it's distracting. You know, if they pitching. see something happening outside, they're going to be drawn to that. Now, did you have you used that every since, time? Really? Every, how, how do you every manage time. that? How do you, how do you work I, that? I, I walk in. I mean, every meeting I walk into, and it's like musical chairs. There's just been, die there's for been them. a I'm well. Sorry. Usually, they're they're pretty nice where they kind of let you in and they sort of let you pick the chair. I mean, I've been in a couple times where you know I. I knew that there was a particular chair that that was that person's chair and nobody else. It was like Archie Bunker's chair, you know, it was like nobody else was going to sit in it. But generally, they kind of let you pick. And um, not all the rooms have windows, <laughs> yeah. but the ones that do, I've, I've always to this day made sure I sat across from it. And the other thing he told me, which was really wild, and I've tried to do this too, although it's, it's not always possible, is he said, sit it, you know, the window's the most important. The second most important thing is sit on the highest piece of furniture in the room because you want to have that angle where they're looking up at you. And he said, even if it's a matter of inches, there's a psychological thing going on where you seem more powerful to them. Like a judge. And more Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, he was dead serious about this stuff. And, uh, and he, you know, and he had the track record to back it up. I don't want to interrupt you, Paul, but Pilar, I think we just panted a, uh, 
on the page pants, which have extra padding in the caboose area. <laughs> Do you think? So that you're always nice. a little bit higher when on you the go page, to these meetings. You on, the page yeah. pants. on the page pitch pants. Uh, on the page pitch pants. You know, because it hit me with another pitch. <laughs> but I'm, I'm passing on that one. But oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not facing the window, so. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it was a, you know, I really think you're a talented, oh, talented okay. person, Ryan. But, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you'll come up with something else. So, getting so, back. How was yeah, that for passing? So, was so anyway, that was, and so to answer your question, I, I had a really good run for a while it's my percentage has fallen off uh lately in the last couple of years because um i'm i'm not pitching under the dome <laughs> like this year i did not do well at all but let's um, let's say that i mean as far as you know clearly what they take on what they need on their their slate is up to them ultimately right, right. but as far as sort of succeeding in a pitch and failing at a pitch you know when you have and you haven't right you never yes. you know it's like like doing a stand-up routine right mm -hmm. right yeah. like you know when okay you killed in the room that yeah. doesn't mean that somebody went on to to give you uh your comedy central special right, right? so hasn't happened <laughs> <laughs> but it will happen <laughs> um so so as far as uh you mentioned that let's say you were going to pitch The Wire, and you'd say, you haven't seen The Wire? Let me tell you about it, right? It would be that same kind of energy that you'd bring to your own, yes. your own work. Would you start with the concept of The Wire, or would you bring somebody into a great scene in The Wire and then sort of build out from there? You know what? I Generally, I again, it's, it's not something that I really think a lot about, and that's, and that's a conscious decision on my part, not to overthink it, but I, I, I feel like I'm sort of a concentric circle kind of picture where I, you know, um, okay, this idea is about this world, and you know, one or two sentences about the world, and then in this world is this character and this character, and a couple sentences about them, and then, and these two characters matter because of this, and then a couple, and I just kind of go, you know, I start, I start big, and I get more and more you know, in depth or specific, or that's that's generally how I do it. At what point would sort of the idea land? Because if you start with world and characters, well, and you this know, is where they meet. At what point do you go? So it's about another thing that I've done that that's kind of connected to that is a lot of times too, and and this might be good for people that are if they're if they're listening and you have never pitched before, or you're about to go into pitch, or you haven't done that much. A lot of people, here's, here's the thing that you got to remember about pitching. The people you're pitching to, you know, unless you're pitching to the head of the network or the studio, which I would say most people listening to this will not be, including myself, you're pitching to people that are listening to pitches all day long, five days a week, for weeks and weeks at a time. Your pitch is one of, I mean, generally in a, in a development season, um, for a, for a studio, even more than a network, your pitch is one of hundreds that they're hearing. And that's another reason that I go in and I just try to have a conversation because they have already heard so many people come in totally prepared, so many people come in, memorize stuff, so many people come in with their you know 15 minute pitch and they're hitting this at the seven minute mark and this at the 10 minute mark. It's, you're not gonna stand out. Unless your idea is completely unique and never been heard before, which, they're probably not going to buy anyways because they're too scared of it. You know, if you're going in pitching your lawyer show or your doctor show or your alien show or your cop show, you know, or your, you know, meth cook show, it's one of hundreds that they are hearing. And the only way you're going to stand out is if they feel like, I haven't heard this before. And so one of my ways is I don't 
I go in purposely trying not to be like all the other people that go in and say, okay, I'm on now. Here's my pitch. <laughs> yeah. You know, and what I'll, what I'll generally do, and a lot of people, and I've talked to other writers that, that you get really nervous before pitches. And a lot of times the writer will go in and they're so focused on their pitch that they go in and they're not even, you know, you sit down and you have the small talk and you have the, you know, can I get you a water? Do you want it, you know, room temperature or whatever? And you sit down and then you go into your pitch. And what I will try to do is I never, like I, I don't think I've ever taken a development meeting a pitch meeting without a minimum of two and usually three ideas in my head. And the reason is, is I'll go in and I try to get them talking before I pitch is I'll go in and we'll sit down and I'll start talking to them and I'll be asking them. I, first of all, I, I try to say things again that they don't generally hear. Like I will acknowledge, oh my God, you must be so sick of this. You know, you probably, you know, if you have a pitch meeting at 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon, you know, well, you're probably the 10th pitch they've heard that day. If it's on a Thursday or a Friday, you know, it's the 50th one they've heard that week it's exasperating for them. And so I'll go in and I'll try to get them talking about that and just to try to get them to relax some. And then I say, you know, so what are you guys looking for this year? What do you, before they can tell me, okay, so what's your idea? You know, let's get this pitch over. I will say, so what kind of stuff are you guys, are you guys looking for? What are you sick of hearing? You know, this, and if, if I have a cop idea in my head and I have a, you know, two estranged brother, family show idea in my head and I ask them and they go well you know we're just so sick of cop ideas and we're trying to find something different then I know wow I'm not pitching my cop idea sure 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 and so I will say well you know what that's great because the idea that I'm so in love with right now is this thing about these two brothers and this family and you just start having this conversation and I've again it's just me everybody's different um I've been much more successful than not successful with that theory and that practice. I do like a very small scale version of this when I pitch tr my trivia night that I do at different bars and, and locations around the city. The same thing. If I just go in and go, do you guys want to do a trivia night? I do trivia. They're like, no, you know, but if you go in, you have a beer, you kind of start asking, uh, what do you guys do for entertainment here? And then when they say, oh yeah, we do karaoke this night, it's not working out. And then you can kind of, you kind of feel them out. So mm -hmm. it's like, it, this is like the lowest totem pole version of, of what you're but saying. But yeah, it, it, I found over the years, it's way more uh, beneficial to me for them to get to know me maybe as a patron first to kind of see what they're into first instead of just going, can I do this thing and you give me money? And this is for a hundred bucks a week. But you know, in the same yeah. regard, and that's, if, and if you talk to that these executives and you know, uh, you'll hear a lot of them say, you know, what, what we, what makes us sit forward in the chair is a writer who's passionate about an idea or, you know, we want to work with a writer who's, who just, you know, whatever they're pitching us is, is their opus, is their thing. And, but again, I think they're, you know, you all hear horror stories about how dumb executives are and, you know, and I have my share of, of crazy stories, but generally speaking, they're really smart people and they're nice people and, if, if you engage them in a way and make them feel like, wow, this, this, you know, this person's cool. This is somebody I'd want to spend the next year developing something with. I, I wouldn't, you know, be sick of them in a room with me. And, you know, and you're passionate about your idea, even if it's not the most unique idea in the world. I mean, how many cop shows are bought and sold every year? A lot. Even though when they say we're not buying any more cop shows, they still buy cop shows. <laughs> and it, it's the ones that are, you know, 
being picked up or the ones that are at least being ordered to pilot or to, to hire to write a pilot are, they may not be the most unique idea in the world, but if the pitch went well, they like the writer, the writer's very passionate about it, the writer has a, a personal connection to the idea some way, you know, if you, can, if you can personalize your idea, even if you're pitching a cop show that's been on, you know, in a dozen different ways for 50 years, if somehow you can personalize it and convince them, this is why it means so much to me, that's gonna stand out from the 50 other pitches they heard that week, where somebody comes in and is like, here's another cop show that'll make a lot of money for you guys. Right. You know? And if it, if it comes out of a conversation, then it feels like it's from an authentic place, and you can get right. to the, and this is why it means some, right. so much to me, instead of saying, this means so much to me, because if, if I sell it to you, I'll be able to afford blank, right? That yes. coming at it with desperation. I don't think anybody likes to be sold to. You right. know, like you wouldn't invite a vacuum cleaner salesman into your home to sit down and right. pitch you about vacuum cleaners, right? Right. Um, I think what you said, Ryan, about about sort of pitching what you do. Yeah. I think anybody who listens to any of our shows about pitching, if they're in any kind of business, should be thinking about how does it apply to their business. Sure. Or if you go on any job interview for any yeah. job, you know, you, you're going to be the one that the, when I walked in, I had a, a job at a community college for three years, right when I graduated college and I put under, um, extra talents or attributes. I put, um, you know, professional stand-up comedian part-time or something like that, or MC or something like that. When I walked in, they said, oh, here's the comedian. Yeah. So that immediately was like a buzzword for them. I told a quick, dumb, super clean, safe work joke on the interview. And then when I got hired, they were like, yeah, no one else told jokes on their, uh, <laughs> on their interviews. And they're like, that's why we went with you. And they're like, we thought you'd be really fun to work with. And that was one of the main reasons they hired me. And I was there for three years. So sort of bringing out sort of what's special about yourself exactly. as well. Exactly. Instead of just being, there was another guy. I went to Western Illinois University and graduated in 2008. And this other guy went to Eastern Illinois University and graduated in 2008. And we probably had the same exact qualifications, um, but he didn't crack any jokes. And <laughs> these ladies wanted to laugh every day, I guess. Those Eastern Illinois guys are not. <laughs> but you know what? True. It goes something that what you said, Pilar, what I think is really smart and true is that nobody wants to be sold anything, and yet these people's job is to listen to sales pitches all day long. That must it's, be hard. It's gotta be so hard. So again, I, I not to repeat myself again, but that's why I go back to trying to get them to just be like, wow, this is a nice pitch. I'm just having a conversation with somebody, you know, and, and they're funny or passionate or cool, and you know, it's it's different than, you know, coming in and sitting there and smiling and nodding as somebody tries to sell me something, which, you know, they do all day long. It's, it, it's just you, I, I think if you're aware of that as a writer going into pitch, because again, pitching has nothing to do with writing, um, I think it can help you a lot. What about um, as a producer, uh, when, when uh, writers would pitch you ideas about a show? What about being on the receiving end of a pitch? That, for me, has, has always been um, how, uh, to be really brutally honest here, how, how, how low the bank account is. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been times where I've been pitched ideas and, you know, I just don't connect with it at all. And so you go, wow, that's, you know, that's interesting. I'll, I'll think about it. And then you go and you leave and you call your agent and go, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And your agent gets you out of it. And then there's been times where, you know, people have, 
pitched me an idea and I've needed a job at that time. And even though it was an idea I didn't connect with at all, I said yes to. Um, right now I'm, I'm writing a pilot. We talked a little bit about that. That was a situation like that where I said yes to somebody else's idea and got hired to write it. And I, I, I regret it now because I'm, I'm, you know, neck deep into this thing. And the reason it's so hard for me, I'm, I'm very behind on it and I'm not doing a good job on it. And it's because I got myself into a situation that I never should have. I said yes to something because of the deal, as opposed to the idea and being passionate about it as a writer. And so I'm really struggling with it. Um, and, uh, and I'm paying the price and that's, you know, but I said yes for the money and that was, you know, it's, it's so when does the prequel to under the dome come out? As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I get the next draft, in, I just got my notes and my dome wasn't big enough. At that point, it's uh, just stuck in the tunnel. They're stuck in the tunnel and then the right it becomes, the dome. see what's dome. different about no, See, this one's totally different because it's actually a cube. Ah, really? <laughs> so okay. it's totally a different show. Inside the cube. Gosh, yeah. all those all those actors and they can use their mime work finally, you know? <laughs> yeah. like. Stephen King just switches the shape. That's all he does. Every book's a different, different shape. <laughs> okay, I am kind of, I don't know if I should ask you, but I'm gonna. What about, um, do you have any stories going way, way back? Nothing that can incriminate you any anymore. But like, what what was the most bizarre pitching situation that you were ever in? I, I know the answer to that. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. Um, I was, I got involved, and there was a book that I happened to be a big fan of. Uh, I was contacted by uh, Executive Studio. There was a producer there that had the rights to this book, and it was a book that I happened to, I never told anyone this, I happened to have been friends with the author, but that was just complete coincidence. And it was a great book, and I always, I, so I was like, absolutely, I would love to develop that as a TV series. This producer was an elderly gentleman who had been, a, he's, he's passed on now, so we can, we can tell the story. He had been a huge TV and movie producer in the 70s and 60s. And I mean, yeah, he, he, was, he was old. And um, so I went into the studio, you know, there's a producer has the rights to these books. Would you be interested? I said, Oh, I know those books. That's great. I absolutely, I'm the guy I can kill this. And I was like, all right, well come down. We'll have a meeting with the producer. And so I was, I was sitting in the waiting room, um, at the studio and the door to the lobby opens and there's this older guy. And at this point I had no idea who the producer was. I mean, I knew the name, but I didn't, you know, never seen him. And here comes this man with a walker and those big giant, you know, glasses you wear when you kind of look like you're blind to, yeah. to keep the sun. And he's fighting to try to get his walker into this doorway. And uh, the, the, you know, assistant gets up from around her desk and goes to help him. And he comes struggling in. And, and it was like something out of a sitcom. And I'm sitting there watching this. And I remember thinking, wouldn't that be funny if that's the producer? <laughs> and he goes walking by and he goes into this office. And a couple minutes later, I get called in. And sure enough, I'm introduced to the producer who has the rights to this book. And uh, so, so that, was, that was the start of it. And then so we had a, we had a, a three-day period where we went around to every cable network pitching this. And it was the studio executive, myself, and this older producer. And we got to FX. 
and we FX at the time. There's a, there's a great executive there. I think he's still there. Nick Grad. He you know the Shield, all the all the great FX stuff. And Nick Grad was like the guy that said yes to these ideas. Um, but he also had this reputation of being no BS at all. Like he would tell you in the middle, well that pitch really sucks, and you know I'm not interested in that. And so we were all kind of nervous. Like you know you got to hook, you got to hook this guy. So um, the 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 book series was about a was a PI series, and the character was a former investigative journalist who had a fall from grace and got in a lot of trouble, and so to make ends meet, had become this PI and was kind of like this down on his luck guy and really flawed and and really cool character. But the back 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 story was he was an investigative journalist at one time, but that was it. The, the show was going to be a PI show and it was going to be gritty and FXE and hard, and we go in and we pitch and I'm pitching and I'm doing this great job and I can see Nick Grads like leaning forward in his chair and he's engaged and he's listening and he's nodding and I get done with my pitch and he's just kind of staring and there's a few seconds of silence and he goes, that's good. That's good. I, I, I like that. And I go, yeah, I, I think it would be great. And then from the other side of the room <laughs> comes this old man's voice going, yeah, you know how Hollywood's always wanted to do a race car movie, but they've never gotten it right? And we all kind of <laughs> turn and, and look over at him, and he said, this is just like that, only for newspapers. This is how you do a series about newspapers. But we're going to get it right. And Nick Grad looks and goes, I don't want to do a show about newspapers. Oh, man. And, and the studio executive's looking at me, and I go, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not about newspapers, Nick. It's, it's, it's gritty P.I., and he's, and he's oh, flawed, no. and he's, you know, drinking, and there's women, and there's crime and oh, murder. And, and then the old producer goes, yeah, it's like the paper chase. Oh, no. Because he was a oh, journalist, man. and it's about him getting back to being a journalist. And I just look, and, and the FX guy, and Nick just goes, I don't want to do a show about newspapers. I don't want to do a show about journalists. And he got up and shook our hands and walked out. And that was the end of the meeting. Oh, God. And, uh, and I looked and we go out to the elevator and the studio executive says, he goes, he goes, we, you know, we had him. And I said, yeah, I know we had him. Oh, God. And he goes, you know, we don't have him anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't, we don't have him anymore. Oh, wow. my God. And, uh, did that, you... was, that was the craziest pitch I was ever seen. Oh, we, we did not sell newspapers. The that whole thing's a sitcom episode. It, it was, great. it was bizarre. Does he also know that the paper chase isn't about newspapers? <laughs> well, no, that they, one's that about was, law students, but okay. You know, maybe, maybe the to... fact that he started with race car movies. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Maybe it's a metaphor for him. You know, maybe he was I don't just... know. It was, uh, he would love that. He would love Rush. <laughs> he would, he would, yes. Maybe he pitched it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Uh, has anybody ever cried? Um, at one of my pitches? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably after I left the room. Uh, <laughs> you meant, did he make anybody cry? Did he make anybody cry? so emotional. I have a great story that, that's not my story, but I know it to be true because what? I was told by the person that was in the pitch and this is, and again, I've, I've said, I think, you know, most studio and network executives that I've dealt with are very smart people. However, there's a great story. There was a guy, if you guys know the name, um, he's a great director, Rodrigo Garcia. Um, he's done a lot of HBO stuff and he's done, um, there's a story that he and a writer were in a meeting with the particular studio executives 
and they were they were pitching this idea, and um, <laughs> Rodrigo Garcia is the son of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Wow. And in the middle of the pitch, he was talking about, the, the writer was saying, you know, and it's very much like Rodrigo's father and, and this and this and, and all this. And, and, you know, the executives kind of lean forward and go, oh, really? Who, who's your father? And he said, it's Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And, and he's told the story that it's true that one of the executives goes, oh, Oh yeah, he used to direct a lot for HBO, didn't oh, he? Oh no! Oh no! And uh, and I guess Rodrigo turned to the writer and and said, "This is not the place for us." Oh oh gosh! Oh man! Wow! Wow! Uh, you know, <laughs> I would like to I would like to see the executive who's like, "Yeah, love in the time of cholera." I am all yeah. about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. I have a hard time imagining any executive sort of immediately yeah. making making that switch. My, my one of my poor writers on Saturday in my writing group, right? She'd had her first big pitch. Okay, she has a really really strong. Uh, one-hour pilot, and you know, some meetings were set up. This was her first meeting. She went in really, really excited, and I said, "How did it go?" And she goes, "She kept falling asleep." Uh. And I was like, "Really?" And she goes, "Well, I guess she was at an Emmy party all night long, and this woman had like." literally come from Emmy parties, had not slept at all, and kept kind of dropping off mm-hmm. during it. She's like, I just kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man. I felt That's so where, I mean, That's bad. where you gotta be having a conversation about, wow, tell me about your parties you were right. at last well, you night. Have that's to, I think you do have to acknowledge in any <clears throat> meeting situation what's really going on, right? Yeah. And say, and say, all right, can I can I get you some coffee? Because you're falling asleep. Is it me? Tell yeah. me about your night, right? That was an, actually another thing that Stephen Cannell taught me or, or told me is that he would have pitches and, and he said, you know, he would know five minutes in if he had them or not. And if he didn't, he would stop his pitch and he'd go, I lost you, didn't I? And he said, you know, they'd be like, what? No, no, it's fine. Great. And he's like, no, I lost you. Tell me where I lost you. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Where did I lose you? And he would get them engaged in having to say, well, I guess when you started talking about that the guy has, you know, two cars instead of one or whatever, you know, and he would get them talking and he would bring them back in. He said so often he would have lost somebody and he'd stop it and he'd call them on it. And by engaging them and interacting with them about what was what they were thinking about, he would get pull them back in, and he said, you know, he sold a ton of stuff like that. And or, see, or, whereas I would be like, I got to get out of here. I've lost him. I just want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to cower away at this moment, you know. But that's that makes sense, you know. But you've been on stage. I don't know if you've ever started losing the room. You probably, and you are, you know, maybe with your career, <laughs> sure. you never have. No, but, no, no, I have. Yeah, but yeah. you, you, you know, some stand-ups go, all right. All right, yeah. that you didn't like that joke. Sure. How about this one, right? Sure. That they actually acknowledge, like, okay, I lost you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's try. So that the audience sort of has to, they're now they've been called out. Exactly. You know, I do it in teaching. Sure. You know, I I have my eye on everybody, and if I see that somebody is is sort of zoning, suddenly that class is completely taught to that person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because. You just have to be aware of the room. Everybody's right. not in your head and, and I think following that what along. happens with a lot of writers that aren't as experienced maybe at pitching, you know, you go in and you're so thinking like I've got to pitch this, I got to pitch and you and you just are thinking about getting your pitch out and 
all the stuff that's in your head and you're not focused at all on what's going on in the room other than you may be thinking, oh, look, they're falling asleep. Well, my pitch must suck. I, I, I got to get out of here or I got to, you know, do something. But if you, if you stay dialed into them and you bring them into it, I mean, I, again, the, the whole thing about having a conversation with them is I want people asking me questions during the pitch. I, I want them to be engaged in talking to me about it as opposed to, again, me just standing there doing a monologue for seven to 15 mm-hmm. minutes. Sure. Um, right. It, like you said, conversation. Yeah. yeah. The, now, some, sometimes some of you know, the writers that I work with will say, okay, I have a meeting, but I don't know if it's a pitch meeting or if it's a sort of a meet and greet kind of thing. What do you do when you're in those kind of circumstances? Do you assume that everything, do you always have sort of pitches in your back pocket, assuming that everything will eventually get to a pitch? Well, I, I try to just from a, a Boy Scout being prepared kind of thing. What, what I'll do if, if I have a meeting that's on the books and I hammer my agents or manager, whoever set the meeting, like, you know, f- is this a pitch meeting or is this a general? Is it, you know, and usually they can tell you, but there have been times, um, even this year for me where, you know, they say like, well, it's a general meeting, but you may end up pitching stuff, you know, or if they want, you know, you should pitch something. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've never gone into even meetings that I been told this is just a general meeting. They read your writing. They want to meet you, you know, to put you on their list. I'll always have I'll always on the drive over to the meeting be thinking about some idea that I can talk about um, because you you don't want to blow that opportunity because it's so hard. I mean, you know, there's so many writers competing for so few jobs. And if you're in a room with somebody that can hire you and you're just having a general meeting and then they say, so what do you got? You got anything? And you say, oh, you know what? I didn't, I, I, uh, 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 they're not going to call you up again. You know, that's, that's your one shot. Yeah. So I always have something to, you know, to be able to talk about, even, even if it's, even if, I mean, there's been times where I've taken meetings where I don't, I'm not currently like developing something specific in my head. Like, you know, I don't have an idea that I'm working on that this is my next pitch or whatever. But I still, like all writers, you know, we have tons of files on our computer of ideas. And I'll never walk into a meeting without having one of those ideas somewhere pretty close to the front of my head. So if, if it does come up, or again, when like what I do, when I try to get them talking about their day and about their job and about the kind of stuff they're looking for, then I can be processing while I'm listening to them in my head oh, you know what, this, this isn't a pitch meeting, but they're talking about they've really been trying to find a, you know, British lawyer show, then, you know, I'll say, yeah, hey, you know, I always wanted to do an American version of Silk, mm-hmm. which is a BBC lawyer show. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to never go to a meeting without having something that if, if the moment arises, I can talk about. For these general meetings, so the, you know, often if, if a, a writer is doing, has a, has a spec that did well, right? Yeah. Now suddenly they, they're in the general meeting world, right? Bottled water tour of general meetings. And 
assuming that they're not looking for a pitch, what should writers know going into these general meetings? What, what are people usually looking for? You, you will have to go back in time to answer this question because this was probably when you were starting off as a baby writer. But what did you sense people wanted to know from you? I think it's, I think it's very similar, almost exactly the same as when you take a meeting for a potential staffing job with, with a showrunner or something is I believe the general meetings just like the, the staffing, you know, potential meetings are, they just want to make sure you're not an axe murderer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's like they, the general meetings are, they read something of yours that they liked enough to meet with you. And they just want to know, they're like, wow, I, you know, everybody wants to be a writer. Executive, a lot of people probably become executives. They, you know, a lot of executives I know wish they could write and some freely admit, ah, oh, I wish I could write, but I can't. They love writers, you know, and so they read something of yours that they liked. They want to meet you and they just want to see that you're cool and that you're not an axe murderer, that you're not some weirdo. And so they can put a face to the work and get to know you and go, wow, you know, I loved X, Y, Z in your script. You know, where'd you come up with that? And you say, well, you know what? It's because I grew up in this house that had X, Y, Z in it. And then they're like, oh, that's really cool. And they get to know you, you know, and it's just like for staffing when, when showrunners, you know, they read scripts um, and they like one and they call you in it's not it has nothing once they've read you and they call you in for me it has nothing to do with your writing they've are you've already passed the test that they think you can write well enough to be on their show they're bringing you in to make sure you can fit in their room cohesively and from a chemistry standpoint and that you're not an axe murderer you know they they the showrunner whether it's a brand new show or a show that's been on, they already know two or three or five people that they are going to hire or already have hired. So you're going in to see in their eyes if you can fit in with those other writers that they know are going to be on their show. And so it's, you know, it's like somebody, I think maybe Jane Esperson, somebody calls it the, the you know, the meeting, like I call it, the, they want to make sure you're not an axe murderer. And she says it's something like, you know, it's it's the pants meeting that they want to make sure you wear pants. So wear pants, maybe those high pants, maybe, Ooh, maybe we're, we're pants. back to, to Ryan's idea. On the page pitch pants. And uh, leave your axe at home. Pretty much yeah. those. Okay. All right. That's good. And any other creepy tick that you have, just... Mm. Just yeah. leave it at home, right? Unless that's the kind of show, you know. Unless yeah. be prepared if you go in and the showrunner has an axe behind his desk and a creepy <laughs> kick, then you know you might want to bring yours. Then, up. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. This is very, very good. I really, really appreciate uh, the advice about pitching. You know, you know what I would like to do. I don't know. It might be the beer talking because I did have one at, at dinner. <laughs> but do you think it would be possible, like we get three writers on the show that that pitch a lot, and have them pitch? the same idea <laughs> and see like how it sounds like basically sort of see who like wins. for an episode like a pitch yeah off, for an episode like, yeah three. a pitch off i think it's a great think, idea you know it's interesting except i would feel like like i i would hate to be the sec the 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 first writer going because the second and third are going to have such an advantage because they're going to hear the other person pitch and ah. they're going to say like, oh, okay, you know what? That didn't work. I'm not going to say that. that. I would have said that, but they said it. So now I'm not going to say that's that. That's someone with the experience that you have in pitching. Maybe they might go, I have this thing memorized and I want to win this little contest. So they just do it the same way either way. You or know? maybe we put them in a soundproof booth Ooh. like the now bathroom, yes. right? Wow. And then and they all come out and take the their turns. The old bathroom the old studio, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I drive the bathroom. 
well, we don't want to kill them. You run the them. risk of, you know, some, some writers going to feel like they look like an idiot in that situation if they finish third. Look, if they're on this podcast, no offense, Paul, they're going to feel like an idiot. That's pretty much, you know. So, But I all, have often thought, you know, I was going to talk to you, like, I would love some time to have an on-the-page po- on podcast that had multiple guests, like a panel almost, uh-huh. and sort of talking to have, you know, two or three different writers, you know, talking about different philosophy. Because it would be, how interesting would it be like right now if there was somebody sitting here with us that felt totally different about pitching than how I feel? I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, Could you call up two of your friends right now? Just, yes. You know, Can I you borrow know, the Do you know how hard it is to get blue? one guest for the show? But, but no, you, you're right. That would be a, a really good way to That'd go. That would be cool. Then I lock them in the soundproof <laughs> booth and, and make them prove it. We're building yes. that booth. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Totally. Hey, I want to remind people, um, speaking of, of contests, that there is a contest running now at On The Page. This is the scene direction contest. We did it once. We did it last year over a couple episodes and lots of pizza. And basically, you can send me an action line or a character description. Um, please, no more than a quarter of the page in length. Even that is long, okay? Um, and there can be no dialogue. And it should be from one of your projects, okay? And uh, and we read it out loud with a, our silky-voiced friend, Mike Siegel, who doesn't know it, but I'm going to rope him into it again this year. <laughs> and then you'll win something. I don't know what it is, but you will win something. You will win one of Pilar's children. You will win one of my children. <laughs> it depends on what mood I'm in. Or me. Or Ryan. I might give Ryan away. We'll see. Give Ryan away. Oh, I want to enter that contest. He's got a cool phone. Ryan. And it just, matches his eyes. It does. It does. If, if people actually saw what Ryan looked like, they would absolutely. That's like, the callback in that. comedy. That, right, that Ryan? Was, that that is was right. good. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Paul, you're hired. <laughs> so uh, send those submissions to inquire at onthepage.tv, inquire at onthepage.tv, and your deadline is Halloween, so October 31st. Um, also go to onthepage.tv, the rewrite class. I'm signing people up for it. It's six weeks. It's starting in November. It runs through mid-December. We skip Thanksgiving weekend so that nobody's mad at you. It's Saturdays, 1230 to 3.30, and you will take your project or your outline through six different rewrite passes. You don't have to have a completed project, but it will make your writing better. So go to onthepage.tv and sign up for that. Ryan, what do you want to pitch this week? Ryan always has some hmm. new project, and it's like, it's ridiculous. Doing a stand-up show on the moon. Now, like, the are tickets you? are a little pricey. No. Okay. Mm. Uh, no, I'm doing a, uh, the monthly uh, comedy show at my apartment. The next one is Friday, October 11th. And Carlton, one of our uh, listeners slash your students, came to the last one. So, uh, Carlton, hope you show up again with your wife. Uh, And anybody else who wants to bring their wife or husband or significant other. And Kyle, Pat's nephew, was one of your... Yeah, Kyle Dotson was uh, one of the comedians. He was great. He he talked about choking on my birthday, right? Yes, he did. That was a pretty (laughs) scary story. In a funny way. And let me tell you this story. (laughs) No, I won't. It It was the worst birthday dinner Ever. I can imagine. I, I, all I wanted was to take my family for a nice big Greek dinner because I'm Greek, right? And just, I, th- I love Greek food. And so it's my mother and my stepfather and Kyle and Pat and the kids. And about like quarter of the way through the meal, Kyle starts choking on the lamb. 
like choking, choking, choking. Pat's doing the Heimlich, oh and Kyle's God. like puking on the floor, and the people next to him are like, oh, God, this is horrible, right? It was awful. It was awful. It was nightmarish, right? And finally, you know, everything's fine, right? Yeah. Everything gets just splat all over this small little Greek restaurant. It was, and I'm screaming, call 911. It was awful, right? And so then Kyle's fine. You know, he's fine. He's breathing. He goes back to eating. <laughs> Pretty oh. much everything gets mopped up. And then we look behind us. And there's John Voigt. Oh, dear. John Voigt has been sitting there the whole time, and he has not looked up from his souvlaki. Not once. <laughs> not once. This was his opportunity to get up and, and be like, I'm John Voigt, and I'm going to save a life now. No, no, nothing. Wow. He nothing. is a very focused actor. He, he I guess. dedicated. <laughs> he is, you Or know. hungry. I don't know. Or hungry. Maybe. <laughs> That's right. Worst birthday dinner ever. Ever. But, not, but not for John Voigt. But not for yeah, maybe he was he was entertained. Who knows? <laughs> Kyle lives. That's all I know, and he lived to tell the tale on yeah. uh, on on your on your comedy night. Yeah, it's outside in my apartment complex courtyard, which is kind of unique. Outside <laughs> around my pool, and all my neighbors come out and watch it, and my landlords come and they approve. That sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah it's it real is? organic and it's fun. And the next show has. Um, the head writer of Tosh.0, my friend Nick Malice, and some other wow. people that work on Tosh. That's, so it'll be a really fun stand-up show. Yeah. It's free. It's, it's BYOB. Yeah. Paul, you're invited. Yeah, Paul. Hope you're there. <laughs> October 11th, Friday, yeah, next October time you're in town. Next time you're in town. We'll make, make your next... <laughs> <laughs> John Voigt will be there. <laughs> he won't be paying attention. No, because he'll have lamb with him. Right? What he'll was just he be in the pool. Around. He'll be in the pool with a big Greek dinner on a floaty. If people want to want to reach out to you by Twitter, um, how should they do it? Uh, I am I am on Twitter tweeting nonsensical you know stuff. I am Fizzhog, uh, two Z's and two G's. F I Z Z H O G G. And uh, yeah, that'll that'll really change your life. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for getting in touch. I, you know, you're you're somebody who says you're going to do something and then you do it. You know, you last time you said, yeah, next time I'm in town, I'll, I'll let you know. And he did. I couldn't believe it. There I'm like, go. oh my god, there's Paul Gio saying he's back in town. Would like to do this show again. So I feel really honored. I know you don't have a lot of time when you're here. So thank no, you. This is very fun. Appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. So go home and get some sleep now, right? Yeah, I yeah. got meetings. We didn't talk about meetings. Oh, next podcast. <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> Ryan, thanks for producing. Thank you. And everybody out there, have a good writing week. Thank you.